Hello, everyone, and welcome to Happy to Meet Cute. This is Fallon. And this is Courtney, and we're so happy to chat with you again today. Um, And I think that I, well, I personally, and I'm sure some of our readers also, are dying to hear Fallon's recap (laughs) of Love is Blind. (laughs) So spoilers ahead. Yes. (laughs) All right, Fallon. Yeah. Lay lay it on. (laughs) I've been... um, Holding in all of my thoughts, it's actually been about two weeks since the finale and the reunion episodes dropped on Netflix, and um, I've been holding in all my thoughts and opinions because I have so many. Um, But basically, (laughs) I think what I had predicted about the couples who got married pretty much all came true. Um, So we had (laughs) Alexa and Brennan, who I think everybody knew they were going to get married They got married. That was great. Um, And then we had uh, Matt and, oh my, I already forgot her name. And it's only been two weeks, the ballet dancer. So did they not make it? The ballet dancer. What is her name? It's like Kathleen, something like that. I can't remember. That's awesome. (laughs) Anyway, they got married, which was bad. They should not have gotten married. Um, (laughs) Which was bad. It is bad. I feel like she looked so miserable on the reunion. Like it. No. Yeah. I felt a little bad for her. Is that the dude who was like coming off of a really messed up past marriage? Yes. Yes. Oh. Cringe. I wish they had not gotten married. Um, they should not have gotten married, but they did, and I hope that she is doing okay because uh, it was a little. You think a that was cringe. a ratings marriage? You think that was? I don't know. No, I think that she has not great self esteem, and she. Oh, baby. I know. I think it was like she was like, okay, well, he's into me, so eh. I'll go with it. Which is, yeah, it was not great. Um, And then so we have the three other couples who did not get married. Kind of the surprising one was SK and Raven. It wasn't super surprising that they didn't get married because um, the show is based in Texas this year. And SK went on the show knowing that he was leaving to go to grad school in California, like right after the weddings. So it made sense That's that they didn't get married. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. It totally is. It made sense that they didn't get married because just the logistics of being a newlywed who's only known their spouse for four weeks and then your spouse moves halfway across the country and you're not going to see them very often. Like, I that yeah. made sense. But then they complaint. revealed at the reunion that they are dating. So oh, I was like okay. – Okay, that actually made sense in my brain. Like, don't get married. That's a smart decision. But then continue to date each other and like see if you can make it work. Now, that is a level of maturity I I wasn't expecting. Yes, of course. The piping hot tea that I literally just learned five minutes ago on Instagram is that they have now broken up. (laughs) (laughs) What the? So. Even their dating didn't last very long, so I guess they made the right decision to not get married. 
they made the right, right decision. Right call. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which is good. And then we had uh, Nancy and Bartise who did not get married. That was the right decision. I wish Nancy would have been a little bit more proactive in that. And I wish that she would have at the reunion come at him a little bit harder because he Mm. said some truly heinous things to her. And she basically was like, she still said yes at the wedding. And then he said no, which is always super awkward. Oh, yeah, that was bad. Um, But then like she, I don't know. I just wish she would have I wish she would have stood up for herself a little bit more and held his feet yeah. to the fire a little bit more at the reunion. And nobody else really did either, which was kind of a bummer. Because at the reunion, all anybody cared about was Cole. And so Cole and Zineb were the relationship where she's older, he is just kind of a dummy. And Yes. Okay, I remember you was- telling me about this one. Yeah, he was the one who said she's a 9 out of 10. Oh, Colleen. Yeah. That's her name, Colleen. Yes, I knew it started with a C. <laughs> <laughs> Colleen, the ballet dancer. Um, so, you know, Cole said that Colleen was his type and that she's a 10 out of 10 and blah, blah, blah. And then Zeneb, you know, continued to be super passive aggressive and very, like, nitpicky with him throughout the entire season. But they all, the entire cast, came for Cole so hard at the reunion, the man was in tears. Um, oh. Zeneb made this comment at the reunion about, like, you talked so poorly about, like, my eating habits. Like, I stopped eating because of you. Like, throwing out these major accusations. And then hmm. one of the other girls brought up this story where she was like, yeah, we know all about the oranges or the tangerines or whatever. And Cole was like, what are you even talking about? Like, find (laughs) that footage and play it because that is not how it happened. And they played the footage at the end of the reunion. So Zeneb basically told this story that, like, you know, I went to have two cuties one day for lunch. I hadn't eaten anything all day. And you were like, oh, you're going to eat both of those and she's like like how could you say that to me and i was like starving myself and blah 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 and then they show the footage of that conversation at the end of the reunion and that is not what happened at all like they're having this whole conversation where she's like they're like eating a snack together and she's like saying um you know, I haven't like eaten today. And he's like, why haven't you eaten? Like I offered to make you lunch. Like I was going to make you a poke bowl. You didn't want one. And he's like, why didn't you eat? And then she was like, so I'm going to have these like two cuties. And he was like, okay, well, you know, just make sure you save your appetite. Cause we're going to have a really nice dinner tonight. And like, that was the conversation. And I was like, so Zenim has some serious issues. She needs yeah. to get into therapy because that is, if that's how she interpreted that conversation, that's on her like he didn't actually say anything wrong there um and i think it just all stemmed from him being a little bit of a dumbass and making some not mean comments but comments that you know maybe somebody a little bit more mature would know that you don't say in a relationship and she just Mm. took everything to the next level um 
But I just felt so bad for him on the reunion because he's like full on like, I'm so sorry that I did that to you. And, you know, at the end, they always ask everybody, like, did you you have any regrets? Do you regret this experience? Would you do it again? And he's like, no, I wouldn't do it again. And they're like, what? Why? And he's like, (laughs) he's like, you're all telling me that I like destroyed this woman. And like, she's telling me that I like torpedoed her self-confidence and she hates herself. Like, why would I do that again? And they're all just like shocked that he says that. happening right now it was so strange and I just I felt so bad for him in that situation and I was annoyed that there was none of that energy for Matt who is actually displaying signs of being uh, somebody who could be like actually physically or verbally abusive to Colleen and there was none There was no going after him. There was no interrogating any of that. It was all reserved for Cole and the cuties, which is so (laughs) dumb. It was so dumb. Um, So, yeah. Okay, as someone who, um, like, hasn't watched (laughs) the show, I will, like, I would like to... Take in the show by listening to you. Okay. <laughs> like this is this is great. <laughs> well, Thank I you. Can, I can bring this energy for basically any reality show that is on the air. So we can we can make this an ongoing segment. If, Perfect. If Perfect. I love it. But we have much more exciting things to talk about today because we have the amazing Suzanne Park who's going to join us in just a few minutes. So I'm done blathering on and on about reality dating shows. I mean, I will come back and blather more about them, I'm sure, in the future. But for today, let's just say I uh, this was not my favorite season of Love is Blind. Justice for Cole. Zeneb, please get <laughs> a therapist immediately um, because you deserve better than what you are doing in your own mind. Stop doing that to yourself. Um, And Colleen, I hope you're okay. (laughs) (laughs) Blink twice. Blink twice. Oh my gosh. Y'all are going to love this episode with Suzanne Park and Fallon. Thank you so much for that. Super (laughs) exciting commentary. Seriously. I love it. All right, y'all. Have a wonderful day, and we'll be back after this short break. All right, everyone. I am so, so excited to introduce our first ever guest. Suzanne Park is a Korean-American writer who was born and raised in Tennessee and now lives in the wilds of Los Angeles. Before she was cracking up readers with her sharp wit and impeccable voice, she was dazzling audiences as a stand-up comedian. Since April of 2020, Suzanne has published five books, which honestly exhausts me just thinking about it. Her sixth book is slated for release in April of 2023. If that didn't make you feel bad enough about yourself, Suzanne is also a Columbia graduate and has an MBA from UCLA. But Suzanne would never want you to feel bad about yourself because she is a supportive, caring, and wise mentor, and I am lucky enough to speak from personal experience. In addition to all of that, Suzanne introduced me to the best Mexican restaurant in my neighborhood, and really, what higher acclaim can there be but that? 
friends, please help us welcome the one and only Suzanne Park. Yay, Yay roaring applause. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be your inaugural guest um, for your brand new podcast. This is exciting. Thank you. We are so we are excited, so to, excited have you. to have you, Jinx. <laughs> yeah. That will happen a lot today. <laughs> Yay. Awesome. Well, Suzanne, you know, you just uh, released your third YA novel. Can you tell us a little bit about Christmas Clash, which is adorable and amazing if you haven't already read it? Sure. Yeah. Uh, the Christmas Clash came out in October, um, early October, and it's about two Asian American teenagers from two families who own uh, rival restaurants at the mall's food court. And uh, they themselves also have uh, rival businesses, seasonal holiday businesses. <laughs> um, Chloe Kwan has uh, a job as Santa's photographer at Santa's Village. Uh, and uh, Peter Lee, he's a um, he's the manager at the VR North Pole Extravaganza um, virtual reality experience. And they're next to each other and they basically can't stand each other. Their families have been rivals for uh, since they have known any better. And uh, they find out that the mall is going to be closed and shut down and demolished for condos. And they both have to band together to save the mall. I think uh, as a millennial, as I was reading this book, it was just like the nostalgia of the mall teenager days yes. was just so, so on point of just when the mall was like the center of your life <laughs> and mm -hmm. the center of all your activities and where you would go every Friday and Saturday. Um, and so even just reading that as an adult, I was like, oh my God, this is so magical. <laughs> it's funny because to do that kind of research for this book, I felt it was important to look at sort of older malls and also the newest malls. So you kind of know how it's changed and then what parts would be funny uh, because it's so old, like, you know, <laughs> it has to be like a relative thing. So um, I had a lot of, uh, you know, research at food courts at the mall. <laughs> yes. um, you know, it was very hard and arduous research, but <laughs> I had to go, go do all that. Um, and then I was able to actually go um, last year to the mall that this whole thing is based on. It was my childhood mall. And then I took pictures and walked around and got to see how that particular mall, um, it was going to be closed and sold. And Ooh. they were looking for a buyer. And that's how I even got the idea. It's like, oh, no, my childhood mall is going to close. And then I, you know, thought of this book, wrote the book. And then when I turned it in, I was just checking on sort of the status of this mall. And they were bought by a local developer who kept it as a mall and is sort of just um, revamping it section by section. And so I'll be going to Nashville soon and I'll get to see kind of the results of that. But I did, when I did go back, it was, it was weird because a lot of the anchor stores were gone. A lot of the, there was a lot of empty parts, but there were mm -hmm. also areas that were thriving that were probably considered really essential for that community. Um, mm -hmm. Saw a lot of families there with really little kids being able to run around um, and, and just have like space to do that. Uh, it was just, there's people walking the mall, you know, getting exercise and 
there are people who need need those environments. And so I just wanted to pay homage to that type of mall culture. And also because I had a little bit of mall nostalgia at the time, um, uh, wanted to tap into that and uh, hopefully was successful. I have to say that reading this novel was like watching a movie. And I really want this to be a movie. Like everything, your voice is just so bright and sharp and witty and paint such a vivid picture in your in the reader's mind I loved the silver sneakers that was their name right the the like band of elder, of senior citizens that walk them all I'm obsessed I love everything you have going on as far as like the photography contest and um the rival restauranteurs and the first love and how they their needs parallel each other's was so beautiful and you just did you brought everything together so beautifully and also I wanted to eat the pages like the food description Suzanne I literally like had to go I'm like where where do I go buy food right now <laughs> so my mouth was watering so fantastic yeah, as part of our promo, we gave out uh, little recipe cards for the spicy pork. And uh, okay. that was fun because I had to, you know, again, for research sake, I had to perfect the recipe that I <laughs> So you have the recipe that you think you know. And then I was just looking online to see if there was any, like, either hacks or just sort of new ways to flavor it where it enhances something. So I ended up actually changing kind of what I did know of what I thought the recipe should be and changing it a little bit by adding, I think it was um, mirin, which is like a, a sweet wine and uh, white wine uh, flavor. And I added that and that added a lot. So I, I was like, okay, so now I have a new recipe that's slightly adapted. And um, of course I had to make it a few times before, cause I, last thing I wanted is somebody take the recipe card and be like, this looks like the worst. <laughs> you are a terrible cook. Um, <laughs> so I had multiple uh, rounds of it and they all turned out okay. So it's like, okay, I think this is this is going to work. Sometimes the... Uh... No, you go, <laughs> go ahead. I was going to say, sometimes the book research we have to do is uh, way more beneficial to us than other book research that we have to do. <laughs> That's a good one for sure. Yeah, I love that. That's fun. The boring one for this book, the research, was finding out um, information about commercial leases. So I had to, (laughs) I, and then I like to deep dive. So I tried to bring in, at least in all of my stories, they, if you actually try to do what the main character does, I try to make it realistic in Mm -hmm. that things can actually happen if the timing is right. So, um, whether you believe that the timing could ever be right is a different thing. But uh, like, as far as like how something is like, if it's a new business, how something's released, or in this case, how somebody could be stuck in a situation where they're evicted and how could you get out of it? That is all possible through the way that these characters figured it out. Um, And I just wanted to make sure that that means like if, so these people are reading, whether they're adults or young adults, they will be able to say like, I could do this too. And it's like achievable. Um, So Mm -hmm. in this particular book, I had to go, I was like, okay, I need to figure out how commercial leases work. And is there any way to get 
um, some sort of loophole or some sort of way to an out clause and then figured out how researched it. And then I called one of my lawyer friends in Tennessee and I was like, Hey, (laughs) can I run this by you? And you tell me what's realistic and what's not. And what I had was like 90% correct. And then he's like, I would change it to say this. And he's a really good writer too. So he he, uh, helped me wordsmith stuff. So it was again, like as accurate as it could be, but not like overly legally jargon. And it was kind of a good way to solve for all the things. And I think I was happy with how everything turned out. It's fantastic. And everything comes together so well. And like you said, it's not heavy handed on the legal jargon. It's, it's so enjoyable to read. And then I also wanted to ask, how much people watching did you do? I, I kept thinking that I'm like, did Suzanne just sit and people watch at the mall for a while? I did spend a lot of time at the mall, not just to look at communities or individuals or anything. It was just to get the vibe of the mall. And I think in that I was able to kind of come up with certain types of people who do frequent malls and then were able to, was able to kind of come up with these almost personas of mall, um, mall attendees, I guess. Um, So you have the silver sneakers you do have in kind of a like a rural or a regional mall. I, I saw some of that at uh, my old mall that I had visited. And then in the newer malls, there's like little bands of teenagers, like how we kind of all grew up with, with mm-hmm. that. Um, and then depending on the type of mall, if they did have Asian food at the food court, it was always um, there. There was always um a lot of hustling and bustling, you know, with the energy around those establishments. So I had hopefully captured that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. For sure. Um, and then I think we mentioned in our little intro that your next uh, adult book, which uh, Courtney and I talked about you on our first episode when it was just the two of us about how impressed we are that you are able to write YA and adult and you still pick up each book and know like, oh, yes, this is definitely a Suzanne Park book, but mm-hmm. the voice is appropriate and, you know, fits in with each age group while still maintaining like your own sort of unique twist on it. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about your next adult romance that is coming out? Sure. I can't wait till this book comes out. It's 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 a book that I had um written because it stemmed from a nightmare (laughs) it's probably the only book i've ever said that about i had this dream throughout the pandemic of that anxiety dream of uh not going to class and then having to take the final exam of this class of a course i never actually thought i had um signed up for and so <laughs> it was this dream that just kept coming back every few weeks. Uh, and then it became like days. And then I thought, oh, I'll just get this out, get my feelings out because something's causing this anxiety. Because mm-hmm. um, I've had that dream in the past and it's usually something like a big life change is coming up or some trigger. And so I wrote down like all everything I was feeling during the pandemic, which is a lot of feelings mm-hmm. during the pandemic. Um, and I just kind of thought like maybe there, there's something to it that would be a good story. And then uh, just 
all of a sudden just came to me that it would be really funny if this nightmare actually came true for somebody where in this story, it's a story about second chances. It turns out They're like a, a nice sweet story <laughs> stemming from a nightmare, but it actually turned out to be a, a nice fun, uh, lighthearted story, but it's, um, about a Korean American author and consultant, Lily Lee. And she finds out as she's doing a, a job hunt that uh, during the employer background check, she fails it and finds out that she did not graduate from college. She was short a few credits. So she has to go back uh, 10 years later and finish her senior year. And while she's there, she finds out that her computer science TA is her ex-boyfriend from college. <laughs> Oh, that yeah. is my worst nightmare, actually. <laughs> Actual <laughs> worst nightmare. I'm happy. <laughs> I'm happy dancing in Fallon is like in horror. <laughs> and when I finished it, um, I remember thinking I just needed to write this type of story. I didn't think about anything about the market or like what um you know how this would follow any sort of tropes and then when i turned it in my editor said oh i love a fish out of water story and second chances and i was like is that what this is going to be <laughs> i didn't know i <laughs> and that's that's one thing i will say about all my stories i don't go in there thinking oh I, it fits in this box i or mm -hmm. these check marks i just write it and then people tell me later what it is so it was just funny because she's like, I love these, you know, this type of story. And I was like, oh, okay. That makes sense that that's why you call it that. Fish out of water? Yep. Uh, second chances? Yep. Okay. So it's all <laughs> it's all in there. It was just, I didn't know that's what I was writing when I was writing it. Yeah. Yeah. I do that too sometimes where sometimes people will ask you like, oh, well, what are the tropes of your book? And I'm like, uh, I don't, <laughs> Winkster. I don't know. <laughs> Not sure. I'll figure it out someday. Somebody will tell me. Yes. Well, for the holiday book, I just wrote it as I had it in my head. And then after um, I got my one of the blurbs in, she said, oh, it's a it's like Romeo and Juliet, but without the tragedy and death. And I was like, oh, yeah, I guess I could pitch that way. That's a little depressing, but it is, you know, a lot like that. So there, there are things that it could be compared to once I write it. Um, thank goodness, because otherwise these books would make no sense. But yes, there are, <laughs> are tropes and themes that uh, carry through that hopefully will resonate with people. I'm very excited. And the, um, the cover for the do-over is absolutely stunning. Stunning. I like had one of those moments where I was like, Oh my God, that is Same. a gorgeous cover. I, when I saw the cover concepts, cause I think this was the one that is uh, the one that is the final version was one of the ones that was kind of a top pick, but all of them were very different from my other two book covers. And I think those two follow the similar theme and look and feel this new one was is a new artist and they, they knew this type of story was a little bit different than the others. Um, she's in her thirties uh, and she's already established in her work. So it's like, mm. just has a different feel anyway. So it made sense to have a departure. Uh, I didn't think it would be that much of a departure, but it turned out that I just fell in love with the artist's style mm. and they picked the art uh, artist illustrator first. 
uh, and then briefed her. And then she came back with two or three concepts that were definitely on point. And then maybe two that were a little bit more like further out than kind of what I was expecting. But of the three, we, this one was one of the ones that had made it to the top, but it was hard to visualize because it's just like a little black and white sketch. And all you saw Mm -hmm. that is similar to what is the final cover is just the outlines of the people and kind of filled in with, you know, the, the, what she sees as her vision. But when it came into color and this actual kind of like rough draft of what she was thinking, it just wowed me because I didn't really think about how you could do two timelines or express two periods in this person's life without, and I told um, my team this, I I usually see that with a split. Um, If there's a two dual timeline or before and Mm -hmm. after, like a split right down the middle and you could see the actual um, before and after through this very um, halved book. <laughs> and I didn't know if I wanted that. So I said, that's one thing I'm, I'm not sure I want for this book. But if that's the only direction this artist can take it, I'd be you know, willing to like take a look and see how she interprets it. But she came at it a whole different way. And I was so surprised and just really pleased with it. And I could tell a lot of thought went into that. And Mm. I just, it it was just lovely to see um, them really kind of take feedback and bring in just kind of be a dialogue of what we were hoping. Um, I love that there's two Asian Americans on the cover. Mm -hmm. and that It's clearly uh, two Asian Americans from two different eras. So it's just in, it, it has this like watercolor effect. It's just so different than anything. And I hope, uh, this feels like a different kind of story too than what I've told in the past. So I'm hoping it all kind of works together so that people see that this is different, but it's still like a book I would write, but it's also um, a departure from what I usually write too. So has that been, how has that been for you experiencing that different um, writing tone, I guess? Yeah, uh, it was it was interesting to start the book because because um, I knew the character was going to be a little older. Mm-hmm. Uh, she is thirty two in this book, and um, in my I think the oldest character I had written in my adult books was twenty seven. So it was like okay, so I have her with more life experience. Um, she also has, uh, you know, successful. Uh, career going on and um she is now like in a situation where she is going back to school and is around a bunch of 22 year olds so (laughs) or younger so she so i had to have a lot going on in this book that had um something i not done before where you're dealing with people in a different generation and she talks about this she says like in her job um she studied, you know, audiences and she's in a different demographic than these folks. And she doesn't know if she can handle that. And um, it ended up being really a good writing experience too, because I have done something in this book that I haven't done before, which is flashbacks. Mm-hmm. Um, so she flashes back to her college life, previous college life, and then it's, and then it's present day. 
so you could see where she was then and see her now. So also it was having kind of a different perspective in those flashbacks because she is 22 and not as much life experience. She's not, you know, it's her first experience uh, dealing with a romantic relationship that is in college and, you know, things like that, that are different. So there was a lot to do in this story that was uh, new for me. And that showed in the, edits and past pages because I kept messing up the timeline uh, timing. <laughs> and it kept getting kicked back to me. It's like, somehow this doesn't work because I was doing semesters and um, kind of talking about ages and then with all those numbers mm-hmm. and yeah. all that math, it just, the chapters were just not working out the way I thought it would. Like, I thought it would be like, oh, you know, her first year in college equals, you know, this year in her life. And it just sort of, because it was like, sometimes it was spring, sometimes whatever, it was just half years. And it, it ended up harder than I thought. And it got kicked back to me more times than I expected. And then even after I thought I would finish past pages, I got something called second past pages. <laughs> I was like, Oh, what is this? And then she's like, actually there's a few <laughs> to have to reread the whole thing because if you mess up something kind of like in the middle Mm -hmm. timing wise it could affect either way like her younger self or older self because I have flashbacks in them so it was just it was um I wouldn't say I wouldn't recommend doing flashbacks (laughs) or college or anything like that it's just that um when it when in the end luckily when I figured out what was the problem, it was an easy fix. It was just like my brain was not um, accepting that one one time in her life was like uh, kind of like the problem. And then if I fixed that, it would fix everything else. I thought I had to fix all the things again. So um, anyway. Yeah. That's a lot of math. <laughs> That's a lot, a lot of math for you. And I never had done that before. Timelines. We'll get you every time. Every time. <laughs> I, I messed something up there. Uh, you know, I almost wish the uh, problem was always like what you expect, like echo words or um, repeating of certain phrasing that you may have had earlier or whatever. But it's just this one was hard because you had I had to keep rereading the story. And I was like, I'm going to get so sick of this story. So by the time I have to talk about it publicly, I'm going to be like sighing and grumbling. <laughs> <laughs> And rolling my eyes. Uh, but uh, no, I still am uh, happy to talk about this story. Good. Right now. <laughs> Good job. God, you did it. That's amazing. Six books. I can't even. It's exhausting. It is exhausting. <laughs> and I've talked to other authors who were writing during the pandemic um, and kind of trucking along. And I think there's a group of us that we're really pushing hard to get books out during the pandemic to be fulfilling our contracts and all that stuff mm. and chatting with them after where things are kind of getting back to normal. We're all really burnt out. Like mm. it hit us later, whereas some people I think were hit early pandemic. Um, me, it's all hitting now. So I've definitely mm. slowed it down. I had to talk to my agent about um, slowing down the timeline by a lot. And I've had private conversations with other authors who have expressed that they are also burnt out 
And it's uh, definitely people who are trying to do two books a year for sure. Mm. Yeah. Finally, just we hit a wall and there's like no more energy and creativity left. I'm getting that back now because I took a bit of a break. And so it's, um, it's, it was good to take a break though. Um, but yeah. we'll see. I don't know if I'll ever get back to where I was before, but I definitely feel like I needed a little slowdown there just to rethink priorities. Yeah. It's a lot to keep up with. Yes. That's good. You did that for yourself. Were you two able to write um, consistently throughout the pandemic or did you take breaks too? I did. I actually wrote more um, during the pandemic. I was that person where I was, it was kind of my escape, you know, when I, cause I, uh, we sold in February of 2021. So I wrote the whole thing um, during the pandemic uh, because it was my, you know, I was doing the distance learning with my kid who was six mm. at the time <laughs> um, during the day. So you can imagine how that was going. <laughs> that was uh, a lot. And so by the time we would get to like post bedtime, I was like, I have to do something to make my brain function mm. <laughs> and to kind of just like have something for myself. Um, and so I wrote... I think I wrote like two and a half full manuscripts. I wrote lease. I wrote half of what is now going to be book three for me. And I wrote a fantasy romance that will never see the light of day, but it was a lot of fun <laughs> to write. Um, Cause I was just like, that was my thing to kind of keep me sane. Mm-hmm. I am also a pandemic writing baby. <laughs> I, um, wrote in the event, I guess, you know, the idea came to me at the end of like 2019. Mm-hmm. And then I was full fledged into it during the beginning of 2020. And I was like, this is the year I'm entering pitch wars. This is it. Um, got in with the amazing Rachel and Solomon. I just adore Rachel. <laughs> and um, he- here we are. <laughs> I blacked out and here we are. <laughs> But it it really has been um, an interesting ride uh, as far as like nonstop. It has been nonstop because I think during the pandemic, it was this big push and it brought me so much joy, but it was the first time I'd ever had time to dedicate to my writing being like the biggest thing I'm doing in that day, in addition to, of course, online schooling my child and trying to keep all of us <laughs> emotionally afloat. <laughs> um, that was a lot. That was a, a big time for all of us. Um, but I think now, and I think what is happening for a lot of us is that now we're back into a normal-ish stride, trying to balance all of this like momentum we built up and now we're here like, okay, I actually have to start incorporating (laughs) social life again and events and, you know, all these things that really, uh, when I was going so hard drafting, um, I didn't have to even consider. So yeah, I think that's part of the reason why book two has been difficult because it was a balance I didn't have to think about with book one. 
Yeah, which kind of um, is a nice segue into everybody's favorite topic when it comes yeah. to writing, uh, which is the dreaded imposter syndrome, um, which in my mind, I'm like, someday I won't feel that. And then I mm-hmm. talk to writers that have published multiple books and they're like, no, you definitely will. <laughs> and I'm like, cool. So it's just uh, <laughs> never going away. Awesome. Love to hear it. Um, but I think uh, I know for me in particular, I felt that really hard with my second book. And I know, Courtney, you're working on your second book right now and and, and struggling with some of that a little bit too. Um, so Suzanne, as the much more experienced writer in this group, can you uh, offer us some hope for the future? <laughs> you... <laughs> She's like, Why is everyone laughing? <laughs> <laughs> I think I've uh, learned over the past two and a half, three years um, that a lot of it is also um, finding community that can celebrate both the ups and downs um, of publishing and writing in general, like the people who will celebrate you when you do have a win or others within like the little group. Um, And then also acknowledge the difficulties when they do come up. Sometimes it's hard to find people like that. I think it's easy to find pessimistic, pessimistic people and then people who, um, kind of like you can celebrate with, but it's really finding those people who can ride the wave with you. Um, that is important. Um, so I've actually kind of like found ways to try not to, and maybe this is just a personal thing that I've tried is just try to accept that, um, there will be negative people that just think they don't get anything and think the world is against them. And then, you know, while that might, Maybe true. I don't know. But it feels like a lot of people have things that happen to them, even people who seem like they're doing well. Um, I, I, I tend to not hang out as much with those negative people anymore. I think like the pandemic helped me kind of purge who like who is really essential in your life and then who you can kind of like actually not be around as much. And it does help. I think where that ends up not being um as much of a comparison game of, you know, almost the race to the bottom. Like (laughs) you're hoping to lift everybody up instead of like, just keep being super pessimistic. So, um, although I do appreciate people who are pessimistic and funny about it. I mean, it is (laughs) (laughs) is pure comedy, how publishing can be. Um, In my book, The uh, the Do-Over, because she goes back to college, and feels like such a loser by having to do that because she's 10 years out and then has to go back. She is dealing with people who look, you know, you know, they're, they have their whole world ahead of them. And she's already lived 10 years of her life and thought she was successful. She has, uh, she's also an author. So she had a book deal that was kind of contingent upon her getting that job uh, that Mm -hmm. she was supposed to about and so she's she's just like losing on all fronts in her mind and having to pay out for college because she didn't get a scholarship or anything this time oh my god so she's at her worst and then runs into her ex-boyfriend and it's just like you know her life is not exactly (laughs) the best place so of course imposter syndrome came up naturally in this book and it was something i researched a lot 
because um, as I do, right, as I mentioned, I, if I can get into commercial leases of mall properties, <laughs> I studied the heck out of um, imposter syndrome. So what I did learn was it was first studied in 1978. So this is, oh. it's not like, oh, this is kind of a new thing. It feels very new because it's all over social media, but it's been studied for a long time. It, has it been studied to the extent it should be? I don't think so. Because the more I researched it, there wasn't actually as many research studies as you would think. It was first researched properly, I think, um, and became a like a research paper that became popular in 1978 by two researchers in Georgia, and um, they called it research. Uh, they called it imposter phenomenon at that time. I don't know mm. at what point it changed its name, but um, it was women who were entering the workplace and imagine it 1978 where they've got both their home life and their jobs they have to juggle. It's not the easiest time for women to be trying to move up in a company. And it was specifically the people who felt imposter syndrome the most were women who, did you hear that? <laughs> okay. who felt imposter syndrome the most were women who were high achieving, who also, um, were uh, in a work situation that helped kind of push them down. And so it was not just, I feel this, it's actually um, more research was going to be needed if they were continuing this research study around the actual work environments. Like, are they conducive to women uh, being enabled in the workplace? Are, they, are there opportunities for moving up and promotions and support? Uh, for women in competitive environments. And it was very clear from the research that it was a lot of people taking it on themselves, like I'm not doing as well as my male counterparts. So so women in the workplace uh, who were polled and, and interviewed for this research study, it was clear that um, they were high-achieving women who uh, were in a situation where they felt like other people were getting ahead, other male counterparts were um, doing better than them, and that they were feeling like they were inadequate or they were not um, doing uh, all that they could do. So they would work harder and try to take on more work. And um, it just became this problem where uh, women in 1978, were feeling like they weren't ever doing enough or being seen. And so mm -hmm. it's it was hard to believe and research that, that that was so long ago. And it feels like not much has changed. Wow. In 2022. Yeah. So when I was researching for this book and kind of digging in and, and digging deep and then looking at podcasts that were like psychi uh, psychological, like, theme podcasts and therapy themed podcasts and doing more um, diving deep into uh, interviews and other research. It's clear that there is still this movement. It hasn't changed much for women. And then work environments and just establishments in society are still not set up for propping up women on an equal playing field. And uh, that is all commentary for sure in the do-over, but it's also sad because I think that affects all of us in publishing, especially where you see certain people doing well, other people not. And then it just, 
is people just moving their goalposts. So they think, oh, when I have this accomplishment, I'll be happy. And then sure enough, you need this other thing to be happy and it keeps moving. And that is something sadly that goes hand in hand with um, imposter syndrome, where you're always looking to your left and right and seeing what other people are doing and what other people are getting. And it's just not the um, most ideal situation, but publishing seems to be an environment where this is set up for that. Yeah. And I think that's something that um, as a debut author, you hear a lot is like, you know, don't compare yourself to other people and blah, 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 blah. And uh, of course, that's very easy to say and not so easy to actually follow through on. Um, And, you know, like we're coming up on the end of the year. So we're starting to see all of the, you know, best of book lists are coming out. And, Mm -hmm. you know, on the one hand, it's like, just don't look at it. Like if your book is on there, somebody will let you know, like, Somebody on your team will find it. Someone will tag you. But then on the other hand, you know, every time I see one, I'm like, nope, yep, I'm clicking on that. Mm. (laughs) I'm going to look at it. Um, And so it's like you have those things in your head where you're like, I know I should not care about this or, you know, stake everything on this. But then on the other hand, it's like, how do you not care about it? Um, You see other people getting these things and you're thinking like what what is it about them or what they've done that's different than what I did sometimes Mm -hmm. it's literally you've done the same thing or even more and it's just a timing issue it's a um it's an issue about the um timeliness of the topic or whatever is you know important at that time um when you start out publishing you think at first Oh, all I want is an agent. I just really want an agent. And then you get that um, as an almost author. And you're like, okay, all I need is a book deal. I don't care how many books. I just want to sell this book that I've written. Mm -hmm. And then you do that. And you're like, oh, I would really like more than one book sold (laughs) or whatever as part of this deal. And, you know, you just keep adding these things that were never part of your original plan. And then when it comes to that, you're thinking, oh, I wish I had X, Y, and Z. And it just keeps moving. Your goalposts always move. And I think one thing that I learned, um, and I think the character in the book, in the do of her reflects on, but it's also her friends that help her do this is, um, it, it seems like a silly thing, but there's something to be said about celebrating your accomplishments by actually documenting them. Um, Cause it's not like necessarily like for a resume or CV or anything, or even your website. It's just that, so, you know, like here are all the accolades I got, or here's this thing that I did that was really um, hard to do. And I did it. And, mm-hmm. you know, I started doing a little bit of that um, when I, uh, in 2020, because it was such a weird time. And it, I think it does help. And I think in the story, the, um, in the do over Lily, her friends help her scrapbook and she gets to see all the things that she has accomplished. And some of it's through pictures, some of it's through like news articles and that, but it ends up being a, um, kind of a nice thing that she can reflect on that's physical. And so I think that is one, one thing that they, um, I've seen a lot of people who talk about imposter syndrome and what helped them 
um, think of as a way to cope is to accomplish, I mean, to write down all of the accomplishments that you've had so that when you do think back, you can actually go back to a document or go back to this, you know, spiral notebook or whatever it is and see all the things you were able to check off that you thought were hard. Mm. I love that. I, I want to go that. scrapbook now. It's self-affirming. <laughs> it it, I like reviews or it's like some nice thing that a specific reader picked up on that you wanted people to pick up on. Maybe everybody didn't, but this one person did. And those are things that matter as an author. And I think when you do that and you can see it and see that you're, you know, you have accomplished a lot. I think it does help your brain reorient itself to say like, actually I have done a lot. I just didn't remember. Do you find too that because there is sort of this pressure to be online and active on social media or else you're going to miss something, you know, you're going to miss celebrating somebody's accomplishment or you're just going to miss something Uh, or you'll, there's sort of this fear of like disappearing, right? If you're not constantly present. And I feel like that only feeds that looking side to side of imposter syndrome. Because sometimes if I really have to focus on a project or something, I'll lit- I'll delete Instagram from my phone. <laughs> Otherwise, it's such an impulse to check. Um, and I find even after a day, I feel so much more grounded, content, satisfied. Like these are feelings that I, f- that I, I'm constantly wanting when I'm feeling frenzied and then just kind of stepping away from socials or like the, the digital noise can be so helpful (laughs) in that first step of like coming back into your own self. There is a, um, a lot happening online where I bet if you weren't, if we didn't have social media, you wouldn't even know about the, um, the things that you don't have. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> you can only rely on your friend networks and your close author friends or whatever it is, your little circles to communicate. And it would, you wouldn't know all the stuff is happening. And I, I kind of wish we were, you know, I, I joke about this with my husband. Like I wish I was an author 15 years ago mm. and then kind of decided like where I am now, like, you know, I, I don't want to be, you know, thinking that what I write now is not relevant now, but I wish that was the era that I was releasing in so that I just didn't have that comparison game going, running through my head all the time. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's true though. You, you do see that and it's, um, it can be disheartening. Uh, and sometimes it's nice to cheer other people on, but I think a lot of Absolutely. authors are that right now that, um, you know, it's hard to be online all the time as well as right. And I'm seeing at least maybe it wasn't like that in like 2016 through 2020, but for sure, since the pandemic, I think people see people stepping away more often and it makes total sense. And it's not a um, personal issue against you. It's like, it's all about being healthy and yeah, exactly. staying in publishing. Otherwise, like if you burn out, you're, you're, you know, you're not in the game anymore. Um, 
one thing that's also mentioned in the book is uh, the discussion about how on social media you're seeing the best versions of people's lives. Yeah. And what you do is you compare your current self with all your highs and lows and your hot mess self days to the person that you see online, that you, uh, the persona of the person online wow. uh, in their best days. And so you, that is not healthy either because you are literally taking the best of, of somebody's, the highlight reel mm-hmm. and comparing it against your regular life. And it's not reasonable to do that. And you have to unlearn how to do that or ex- at least acknowledge that what you see online is everybody's usually best versions of themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause it's not like I'm going to go on Instagram and be like, I got a one star review today. Everybody <laughs> check it out. Here it yeah. is. Uh, you know, We're I'm not going to post that. The, the glowing three star reviews that crowd <laughs> out all of my other reviews. Like, <laughs> you know, I'm starting to, I'm, I'm, I have some questions. I love that a lot of people, but I will not talk about that in this podcast. <laughs> and I feel like that could be applied to, like, across the board, all life things. Even, like, I'll have a great parenting moment, and then I'll go online, and, like, there's somebody having a full-on fucking photo shoot in their kitchen with their child being like, look at us making organic homemade purees. And, like, oh, my God, I'm the worst I don't even like put photos of my child online. <laughs> Am I even? <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, everything, so many things. You, it's across the board. You really got to step back sometimes. That's true. That's so true. It, it is. You're right. It's not just uh, writing stuff. You see parenting online, mm-hmm. um, uh, people posting their job stuff, like accomplishments, and you just don't see what actually happens behind the scenes. And that is what people don't show on social media. Yeah. Unless you're on this new app called be real. And let's, we will, we can talk about that another time, but um, <laughs> don't even know. I can't do any more new apps guys. I can't do it. <laughs> I say that in jest. Be real. It's called be real. What? Uh, you're, you're supposed to, it's supposed to notify you like, when uh, at random times to just snap a picture or take a video exactly at the random time that they, <laughs> they, they uh, notify you. So you can show people <laughs> how you are being real at that moment. And that's supposed to counter this. And I'm like, I don't know if that's the right. Not thing doing it. There are <laughs> so many situations that no, <laughs> absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. Be real is me in my sweatpants and uh, <laughs> well, those drinking, my, my drinking favorite coffee. Instagram posts of yours, Suzanne, are when you do your deadline diet Instagram posts. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. your meals. Those since I am actually in a worse deadline crunch now. <laughs> like I've been joking, and then it kind of like now is added up because I have more time for this next book. Mm-hmm. But I squandered it all away by doing promo for this and then also just doing a lot of ad. You know, that's also part of the job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Stuff, responding to emails and reading oh for blurbs and all the stuff. And you're kind of like, 
I'm behind again. And so now I'm back in a severe crunch. So I will be posting more deadline diet, especially now that it'll be the Halloween edition where yeah. it is so past Halloween that we're in the worst candy selection part of the Halloween, where it's the ones that a kid did not want to eat. Yeah, <laughs> I will be eating that. Nice. <laughs> I have about 20 ring pops in my kitchen right now. <laughs> Man- Mandalorian ring pops. Oh, yes. Okay, well, I kind of want one of those. <laughs> <laughs> I will send you some. Well, candy exchange as part of this podcast. <laughs> Anyway. All right. Well, on that note, let's talk about something fun uh, because uh, <laughs> imposter syndrome is very important and good to uh, discuss. We want to focus on some happy, positive things. So I know one of your uh, pandemic hobbies, Suzanne, was you got into crocheting and cross stitch, which I've seen some of those on your Instagram as well, and they are super adorable. Um mm-hmm. So please tell us all about how you got into that and how amazing it is. Convince me to go spend a lot of money at Michael's because I feel like that would be good therapy for me. (laughs) Yes. Well, first of all, I'm not the kind of person who will thrift to, um, to kind of like start a hobby. I need a kit. So I think what's most important for me to have an enjoyable experience where it's a no braining, like no brain situation where I just do is uh, I buy kits on Etsy for the cross stitch and have been doing those for maybe two years now, where it's just something to do with your hands that are very, they have like pretty good level of instruction on the cross stitch side. It's like easy to follow like the squares. And so you're like, okay, I get this. I know how to, these are color coded. I get it. And it's something to do when you're listening to an audiobook. Or it's something to do while you are um, watching a kind of a TV show that you've either seen before, so you don't really need to like pay attention to everything. Or it's one of those brainless reality shows where you're kind of like, it really doesn't matter if you're always looking at the screen. You can kind of get it through the dialogue and whatever. So that was a good relief during the pandemic because I mm-hmm. kind of felt productive. And then, I mean, not to say it's like, social media bait, but it was like something also to post when I was done. So mm-hmm. I'd have like a thing to do and post. Uh, Cause I wasn't really like thinking I want to do any fun content because I wasn't feeling my best life at that time. But uh, I know <laughs> you can't see this uh, through your listeners, but um, on the crocheting side, I started with a kit called the Woogles and they were in shark tank. And I think it's an Asian owned company where, um, they had these little kits with these little animals and I started with this blue penguin and he was actually very hard to do. And I messed up several times. I would say that for somebody like me, who is pretty decent at figuring out instructions, I had a hard time with it. (laughs) So I had to like restitch parts and I had to, I I have like suggestions on how they should do their videos, but I did finish it. (laughs) And it's adorable. You would that he was like, oh, this is cute. And it took like, you know, five hours. This like took like 40 hours of research. <laughs> is it worth it? Is the ROI there? Probably not, but he's done. So uh, cute. But because, as I said, I don't know, I would have said he's like easy level and had the types of video instruction that they have 
online, I was able to go from that because it was actually ending up to be using a lot of different skills and really jumping you to kind of an intermediate level. I was able to then buy materials and then I had to actually stitch these little crochet uh, dumplings for my uh, book release for the Christmas Clash because I was um, Chloe's restaurant serves dumplings. So I was like, oh, that's cute. So they had these little cute um, doll eyes and little mouth and, you know, it's like a hand crocheted keychain with stuffing. And then I had the little key ring and I was making those as part of promo. So, but it was just fun because I had something to do. It was very like easy, like to do. Cause then after a while become muscle memory of like how to, how many stitches. And then I had like, I made my own stitch uh, patterns and stuff. Wow. And then, uh, yeah. And then I finished like, you know, I gave out 10, and then I had 10 for booksellers, too, that I knew. And then uh, my hands and arms started hurting. And I was like, well, that's weird. Whoa. And then I went to the doctor and he's like, oh, you have tendinitis. Oh, my. <laughs> he's like, have you been doing anything unusual with your hands? <laughs> and I was like, well, I haven't been writing, so no typing. So I was like, is it? And I was like, uh, could it be crocheting? He's like, okay, I have seen some knitting injuries. So amazing. Which is hilarious to me too, for him to say that, those words. I've seen knitting injuries. Yeah. But then he's like, but why are your hand, why are your thumbs in like this part hurting the most? Because they were to a point where they're really aching and it was like to a point where I had to use a like a, a like a splint kind of thing for both hands just to keep them kind of like stable. Uh, he's like, oh, okay, I can give you a cortisone shot, but you know, I just want to know. And I was like, well, what have you doing with my hands? I was like, oh, when I'm pushing in the doll eyes in the dumpling, uh, <laughs> that's where and he's like, what? <laughs> I'm like, I need two thumbs to push in the two doll. He's like, these dumplings have faces, and and then I showed him a picture. He's like, oh. I've never seen that interview. <laughs> <laughs> There's always a first for me. I'm always that person. So he basically goes, he gives me the injections and he goes, yeah, so don't do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not about to push doll eyes into a, like a crocheted dumpling. Um, so no faces on my bad. Because that caused more injury than it would have if I just crocheted it. So now, of course, my husband and I are like, well, what does he mean? Like, can I do like one at a time? <laughs> Double thumb. <laughs> yeah. Is there a workaround or a cheat? This? So I'm thinking like, oh, I don't want to risk tendonitis. Let me wait till they fully heal. And I think we're at a point where I can do that and I can start um, doing my crafting stuff again. But it was it was pretty much the worst Embar most embarrassing injury you can get <laughs> to have to admit to the doctor. And the worst part is he kept asking questions, not understanding the words coming out of my mouth that uh, were actually relevant to my medical history. I was like, yeah, it's these eyes. It's like, what are you I love that. Eyes in? That's hilarious. I love you showed him a photo. Yeah, I was like, obviously you need a visual. <laughs> Yeah. You're like, I could have had a million dollar empire selling my crocheted dumplings. 
I, once, <laughs> I once made a crochet octopus. That thing, so when you say your penguin took you 40 hours, I really think this octopus took me 40 weeks. <laughs> <laughs> and I put too much stuffing in, so my eyes um, fell out. <laughs> the, the, the knitting was not tight enough, <laughs> or the crocheting, sorry. <laughs> yes, that's the other thing. If you make it too tight or too loose, it's problematic. I know. Tight, which I learned from the dumpling that it's hard to push eyes through because you do need a little bit of space. And so you learn that, but you learn it the hard way. And again, it's not like it's in these instruction videos. Right. Uh, with, with the penguin and that kit that was helpful was it started out with the round circle that is actually kind of, now I know how to do make my own circle to start, uh, you know, for the penguin's head or the belly or whatever. I know how to do that now. But uh, it, it gives you a start so that you don't have to learn that hard part to start and get discouraged. But what happened in my many rounds of, you know, raveling and uh, sorry, unraveling is uh, and then restitching and then realizing I, I missed a stitch or something that I unstitched the whole circle. And then I had to figure that part out. And that's what took a lot of time, too, is just mm-hmm. like learning this part that wasn't originally part of the kit because they try to make it easy. And I. I managed to find a way to unstitch it completely. So it just ended up with a thread again. And I was like, oh no, I, maybe I'll abandon it. But then I was like, you know what? I I need to make those penguin. So, <laughs> I love it. Determined. This conversation has convinced me that I should uh, stick with cross stitch. <laughs> Anything where A gives me an excuse to shop on Etsy, obviously I'm here for it. And I will peruse uh, the the kids but I'm like I don't think I have the patience for 40 hours for a penguin <laughs> I don't think I can do it <laughs> it would be easy and cute and it ended up cute but not as easy as I had uh, been told and then the videos are a little weird too because you watch them and sometimes you finish it and then you have to like recount and then if you mess up you don't know where where along the way when you're starting out you Mr. Count. So you have right. to like either go back to the video where you, you think it happened or start over. And it was like so sick of watching these videos. So <laughs> was, um, it wasn't the best, but I think in the end, the skills that I learned from this very difficult situation, I think I, um, and going to the doctor and learning about how, you know, uh, how I shouldn't cross stitch. I mean, uh, crochet, I think that will, in the end, probably if I do go back to it, I know a lot more um, of the do's and don'ts um, of starting project and finishing it. I love love it. (laughs) And there was another project you have a big passion about that I'm very excited to hear. (laughs) Yes, I've been on the quest, actually not even just since the pandemic, my whole adult life, I've been trying to figure out how to perfect the recipe for a chocolate chip cookie. Yes. And mm-hmm. I um, have been looking online and, you know, there are things that people do to make it fancy, like they add coconut or they add certain types of, uh, you know, uh, certain types of nuts or something. And uh-huh. just make a basic chocolate chip cookie that is like not quite Toll House, but has kind of a taste that... I know that can be done with more simple ingredients. And so uh, throughout the pandemic, though, that was my 
real project uh, when it came to cooking because there's always procrastinating. That was always something that I would do right before deadline. Um, and uh, <laughs> I do I- your baby. <laughs> and then if you look at some re- like recipes from the backs of chocolate chip packs, so like the Toll Houses or the Ghirardelli chocolates or wherever, um, those recipes are actually very similar. So to me, I was like, that's the base of where I will start. Sometimes that's like a little bit more sugar or a little bit more flour or whatever. Um, But for the most part, the basic chocolate chip cookie that everybody agrees on that are like (laughs) chefs, like the backs of the, you know, people who actually manufacture the chocolate chip, chocolate chips, those are, it's like a good baseline. So I've always started with that. But, um, and I made different versions of that with different chocolate chips. And I was like, ah, oh, this still isn't exactly what I'm, I'm thinking because I know I've had chocolate chip cookies that are different. So what I ended up learning in the past six months, maybe, is how to brown uh, the butter. And I now will never go back. I, it adds this taste. Wow. I thought it was vanilla or I thought it was the brand of, you know, things that were uh, the brand of butter or it was the brand of the chocolate chips that were making things taste it, like a little bit more depth to it. Um, or it was just a different, um, like maybe it was a different type of extract that they were adding instead of vanilla. Maybe it was like almond or something. But turns out the big difference that I did that made the uh, made it taste so much better was browning the butter. And then because they don't tell you that, in on these again the backs of the chocolate chip cookie packets you have to like <laughs> find videos or learn how to do it yourself it's not hard and it makes your house smell like caramel afterwards Ooh. but it's the best thing to do to a basic recipe for chocolate chip cookies that will make a million like a million times difference of the result and um my daughter of course is a one of the taste testers <laughs> <laughs> lucky lucky girl who gets to taste it and um i didn't tell her what i did different in the you know the last few batches but she noticed the difference before i even said anything she said these are the best ones you've made and i was like i would agree because it was only one thing and it it really was it that was the key thing um i don't know where to go from here honestly because i've already <laughs> done different brands of chocolate chips and different brands of flour kind of altered like the ingredients just here or there a little bit. Um, the biggest difference was of course, browning the butter. Um, so yeah, I'm going to achieve achieved your goal. I achieved my goal. Yeah. And unlike, you know, my other writing experience, I will not keep moving that goalpost <laughs> <laughs> because I've taken this cookie to parties and to other people's houses. So the other thing is, is most of the recipes on the back of these things, um, give you like three dozen cookies and I'm a family of three. And while I love them, they freeze very well. They are very also, they're easy to give to people and they, who doesn't love a gift of homemade chocolate chip cookies. Right. So when we go to people's houses or we visit family or whatever, I always bring like a little baggie or a little, you know, container of them and they're always well received. So it's also a very nice thing to do um, just to stop by people's houses and things. I love that. To them. But they freeze super well. But yeah, I don't know uh, where to go except to just keep being a Keebler elf and (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> while I'm on deadline. So that is what <laughs> when you need to post <laughs> Instagram lives and TikTok lives of me just baking cookies instead of writing and <laughs> we'll see what happens. I feel like I will speak for both Courtney and myself that should you ever need to unload cookies, mm-hmm. we will happily take some off your hands. <laughs> yes. You. Because if you think about it, the Toll House recipe is already very good, right? If you somebody makes that recipe with Toll House, you know, the Toll House morsels is what they call um, They're mm-hmm. great. Uh, but like, can you improve on it? Yes. And it turns out that you uh, just do a few tweaks. You have this new thing. And they have been the best crowd-pleasing thing ever. Uh, my husband went to visit some friends. And um, they requested them the next time he came. <laughs> so it was like, That's amazing. Nice. Yeah. So it's like it's kind of fun to have this thing. It's not hard. And it's the bread and butter is not, it doesn't take that much time. And again, it makes your house smell great. So it's actually like an air freshener, too. Uh and then uh, you make a lot of cookies and then freeze them and then give them out. Like it's, uh, I think we were talking about earlier how Halloween, my daughter was giving out toothpaste for Halloween. <laughs> you give them out like a toothpaste for Halloween and uh, everybody will love you. Everybody wins. Everybody wins. <laughs> I love and it. It is a good snack every once in a while for like when you're on deadline. So Absolutely. Yeah. What is your Absolutely. favorite brand of chocolate chips? Nestle so, morsels. No, you know uh, the Toll House morsel. Um, it sounds so weird to say because <laughs> it's just a weird word. Um, I don't think I've ever said the word morsel until this. Six times. Um, that uh, that to me, when you uh, cook with it, it, it doesn't melt in a way that seems very natural. <laughs> uh, I don't know what it is in it. Uh, and I think it has a a little bit more of a bitter taste. And I think that's, but that's also what you expect, right? When the, when you have a Toll House cookie. So I would say that um, the Ghirardelli ones seem to be more of a um, better fit for a brown, brown butter um, cookie recipe. And we have a baking friend who swears by taking C's candy and just chopping it up. This oh, C's chocolate. Okay. I haven't tried that. Cause that was going to be the next iteration. Cause I feel like that's whole other level in investment of money, mm, but yeah. also like <laughs> but now that I know this other, all the other ingredients are kind of like good. That might be where I go next. That will be like the special reserve batch. Yes. Yes. That's not for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's, that's a game changer right there. Right. Yeah. Right. And she's like a real bake, like somebody that bakes all the time. And she swears by this hand, like chopped sees, um, sees chocolate that goes into her cookies. And I've had her cookies and they are fantastic. So I definitely believe her. It's just, I just know that the labor and the investment in time will be a little bit higher. So I just have to be ready for that if I really want to take the mm-hmm. But I have goals now that are achievable. I did one time chop up an Easter bunny, a chocolate Easter bunny, to be to clarify. Um, <laughs> and put it in, the, in my cookies, in my chocolate chip cookies. It was not bad. Yeah. 
you got to get chocolate where you can get it. (laughs) And I would imagine a chocolate, uh, chocolate Easter bunny would melt very well in a very gooey sort of excellent way. It had a good melt for sure. (laughs) Are you two bakers too, or just, I um, used to be. (laughs) Same before deadlines. I No, I, I definitely need, I want to get back into baking. And now that the weather's cooling down, I, I, I will. I'm hopeful. <laughs> yeah. I love baking. I feel like for me, baking dropped off a lot when I had uh, my kid. Yeah. I just didn't have time to do anything else other than kid stuff. But now he's to the age where he's old enough to actually like be a help. That's a real help and not help that is makes everything harder. <laughs> Mm-hmm. which sometimes happens. Um, so I feel like this is a good holiday season to like really kick up the baking. I love I think it. I can bake as long as it's not, doesn't involve art. And what I mean by that is presentation or some sort of decorating of any kind. I'm good at making like the, you know, the cookies that don't really need to be pretty or <laughs> something yeah. like a cobbler. Yeah, something <laughs> I'm better at. Uh, you know, pies that are just like pecan pies. I can make those. I, I can make those types of things that don't need to look fancy t- and taste pretty good. But when it's artistic presentation, that is for somebody else. I am terrible at that. I, uh, I'm going to have to do some practice because I don't know if you all saw on my Instagram stories, but I have decided to make the TikTok famous gray sweatpants sugar cookies. If you don't know what I'm talking about, look it up on TikTok because the video is hilarious. Oh, I Uh, will. (laughs) So, you know, gray sweatpants in Romance Landia is like a thing. Um, And I have a gray sweatpants scene in just my type. Oh, my God. So I I feel like listeners Listeners are going to be like, what's the thing about gray sweatpants? You got to look it up, y'all. No, I, I bet most of them know. Okay. Um, we have faith. And so when you're making these gray sweatpants cookies, there's a little candy. <laughs> no, shut up! Let's just say I ordered them from bachelorette.com. So that should give you an idea. And then you put them in the cookie and then you cover it with gray frosting and then you have your gray sweatpants cookie. So when you, uh, this is that you're going to eat them all yourself, Alan, and you're going to give them to people. Are you going to reveal the candy center? No, you can see it. You can see it. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Did you already make I haven't made them yet. I did order, I ordered the candies um, so that I could do a practice round, but um, (laughs) I will definitely, I will post all of those amazing photos, of course. Um, But this is is the best thing I've ever heard. This is, but I have to practice my frosting skills. So (laughs) I think think the, you know, if you want to be your authentic self, I think you show the bloopers as well. Oh, for sure. There's going to be some rough Be real. Be real. (laughs) I do have to tell you that um, my husband has now purchased gray sweatpants and a Henley per my recommendation. 
My husband also has gray sweatpants. Yeah, I bought them for him last Christmas. He was like looking at loungewear. And I was like, Michael, you definitely should purchase these items. (laughs) And I appreciate that moment in time every day. (laughs) Do any husbands not have gray sweatpants? (laughs) You should get them. You should get them if you don't have them, folks. I love it. Oh, my God. Oh my gosh. Well, Suzanne, this has been absolutely amazing. You are a dream and a vision and we love you so much. So Um, much. Can you please tell us where everybody can find you on the interwebs? Well, I don't know if Twitter will be existing (laughs) in two weeks when this comes out. Um, So you can definitely find me on Instagram and that's probably the best place to find me. Although I haven't posted much lately. Um, it is at Suzanne Park. Um, and then I believe, um, yeah, I believe I'll still be around on Twitter. So you can find me there too. Also at Suzanne Park. Uh, my website is SuzannePark.com. Awesome. So please uh, go buy Suzanne's books. They are delightful. You will not regret it. Um, thank you so much, Suzanne. We really appreciate you coming and being our first ever guest. Yay. Thanks for having me. This was so much fun. It was great to chat about all sorts of things. We just adore you. Thank you for all your morsels of wisdom (laughs) (laughs) and all the joy. And we, we, um, please keep us posted on the seize candy. Yes. Yeah, I will. Edition. And just thank you so much for being you and being a wonderful person. (laughs) Thank you. A really wonderful podcast. It was so much fun. Oh, yay. All right, y'all. Thank you so much for listening. And we will meet cute next time. Hugs and kisses. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to Happy to Meet Cute. If you enjoyed our podcast, we would love it so much if you would give us a follow on social media. We are at Happy to Meet Cute on Instagram. And also, if you could please leave a review and subscribe, that would be amazing. If you would like to follow your host, you can find Courtney at court underscore K K A E on all social media platforms. And you can find me Fallon Ballard at Fallon Ballard everywhere you imbibe your social media. If you would like to buy any of the books mentioned in this episode, you can find links in the show notes and a special shout out to Zachary Kibbe and Matt Ballard for our amazing theme song. Thank you so much for tuning in and we hope to see you next time.